Good evening, dummies. Episode 171, Friday, June 18th, 8.25 p.m. It is wonderful to be here with you today. This is Don't Unfriend Me. And really, what does Don't Unfriend Me? Well, it talks about current events, politics, sports, pretty much anything under the sun. And my adage and shtick is, you can love me, you can hate me, we can agree, we can disagree, just don't unfriend me. And there's a caveat to that. If you're going to be a douche, you're going to go away. Sorry. Listen, this is my nickel. This is my site. And if you come on and you start disparaging people, calling them idiots, or trolling your page, or trying to take viewers of mine so you can support yours, fuck you. It's my advertising. I'm not paying for it so you can come here rent-free. It's the same people that go into retail stores and bring perfume and try to sell it in a fishing store. You don't pay for that. You don't get to solicit my customers. You don't get to solicit my viewers. If you have a view, express it. Try to be respectful. Try not to be a douchebag. That's why my stalker was banned. He likes to think it's because I'm afraid of him. I'm not. I was also going to do something actually really honest and upfront, but I'm not doing it anymore. Because, well, because you got to keep your word. And if you're supposed to, you know what? Let's do it. You know what? I'm not going to stoop down to your level. You know what I'm talking about. My stalker and I got on the phone today together. So I'm just going to address this very simply. I made a mistake. At least he says I did. And I will be honest. I could sit there and blow it off and give a tongue-in-cheek pseudo response and say, well, he says he didn't do this, so therefore I believe him. Well, no, I believe him. He's a lot of things, and he's most assuredly a little office fucking rocker. But what he's not is a child rapist or a pedo. And he says that, and I believe him. I really do. There was an article in his local times in his uh, in city that he's from and the state. There's only three of them in the entire state with his name, his age demographic. There's two of them. And the one guy that did this basically got into a sex trafficking sting. And I reported that, that that was him because I put two and two together and that's it. However, there's other things I said, no fly list, not no fly list, the government watch list, things to that effect, and also his political dispositions and all that other things, hating America, hating veterans, he's a socialist, he believes in open borders, he says he's a libertarian, but he's a lefty, all this bullshit is true, but that he says is not. So I'm going to do what I said I would do and apologize and say that I was wrong, even though you don't know his name because I've never mentioned it, it's the right thing to do. Keeping your word is important, something he through his rose-colored glasses, feels that he can go talk about me and take our entire recording and put it on air and have his three listeners watch it. And that's fine if he wants to do it. Tonight is the last night we will talk about my stalker. I will no longer feed the trolls. What an effort in futility. I tried, folks. I tried to be the bigger man, and I found out that I am just a little boy with his football and want to go home. (sighs) What are we talking about tonight? Well, the 25th Amendment, and why is it important? Well, we know Donald Trump was having some comments from the left that they were going to invoke the 25th amendment put mike pence in charge wouldn't that be funny and then people said that mike pence would step down and then it would be nancy pelosi and whatever we're going to talk about that tonight is that possible because it's being talked about with biden and we should talk about it tonight let's learn what the 25th amendment is let's learn a little bit about what's been going on with biden's faculties and no i'm not talking about the local school kids getting their hair sniffed sorry that was a low blow right of nowhere and left of reality why Can't people have a conversation? This was the big one. And I had to figure this out tonight. After I had that conversation with my stalker, I I looked it up and I said, why are we so ideologically entrenched? Am I really this ignorant to the facts? And is he really this ignorant to the facts? And the answer is probably going to surprise you is that facts are not mutually exclusive to one side. Would you be surprised that Both of ours are somewhat right and wrong. 
It's interesting. We're going to talk about it tonight. And hopefully you make the connection. And the best one, my number one demographic are female listeners. And that's, that's great. I love that. I love that more than anything. I get one question more than any other is the right to carry a big effing gun. Matt, what should I use for home defense? Well, that's a great question, considering I'm a gun enthusiast. There's a lot on my page. I know a lot of people are going to come out, whether it be Troy or Leroy or anyone else, maybe Mark, who will tell you all about what weapon is best for them. And this is like abortion and football, folks. People are going to argue. They will have different opinions. Some people will say, Matt, you're absolutely wrong, and whatever. And I will tell you the the best and the worst and the pros and cons of both. And we can even talk about concealed carry because a lot of people want to know what are their rights. But first, three older men are undergoing a memory test at the doctor's office. The doctor says, what is three times three? The first man answers 274. The second man answers Tuesday. And the third man answers nine. And the doctor, pleasantly surprised at the third man's correct response, inquires, great, how did you get that answer? Simple. I just subtracted 274 from Tuesday. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest. Always direct. So sit back. Relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. Welcome, 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 dummies. Welcome to the show. What is a dummy? How is he insulting me? Why is he insulting me? I'm not insulting you. This is Don't Unfriend Me. And the stoolies from Barstool Sports have their stoolies. Well, we have the dummies, the D-U-M's. And there we are. Isn't that clever? Where can you find me? You can find me on my social media. I'm over on Anchor, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, pretty much everywhere. Podcasts live, eat, and breathe. And if that doesn't work for you and you don't like social media, pardon the hiccup, you cannot go to Veteran Crisis Hotline, but you can go to my website at www.donunfriendme.com. You can find my entire catalog there. You can make notes on my blog. You can tell me how much you hate it or love it and how much I suck or don't. And either way, it keeps you out of the rigmarole of the social media platform. So stop on by, say hello. Please throw me a like, share, follow, and subscribe. It means a lot. If you're on YouTube, you can subscribe right down here on this little envelope and click subscribe. And that'll give you all my updates when I go live or when I post a video. And on Facebook, you can like and follow. I would just recommend you hit follow and like at the same time. Follow gives you all the updates of when my shows post and likes allow you to go ahead and revisit in your feed when I do post things. So like, share, and follow if you would be so kind. Let's get into this. It's going to be an interesting show, aren't they all? The 25th Amendment and why is it important? Texas Representative Ronnie Jackson started controversy among his colleagues after circulating a petition calling for President Joe Biden to take a cognitive test. Formerly serving as a White House physician under former President Donald Trump and Barack Obama, Jackson collected signatures for his petition this week during GOP meetings and House votes. He said on Thursday he expects to send a letter in the next day or two requesting Biden take a cognitive test. Quote, just everything that has been going on for the last year and a half with Biden, doesn't he doesn't know what's going on, where he's at. He's very confused all the time, Jackson said, according to The Hill. In October, during a Trump campaign call, Jackson said he was convinced amidst Biden's campaign gaffes that the president does not have the mental capacity, the cognitive ability to serve as our commander in chief and head of state. I don't know. Ronald Reagan did almost in full blown uh, uh, 
Alzheimer's, and he did pretty damn well. Anyway, Jackson and Joe Biden is not doing well, mind you. Jackson had previously declared in 2018 that despite Trump's junk food diet, he was in excellent cardiac health, scored a perfect 30 out of 30 on a cognitive test, and was exactly one pound below what is considered obese. Just because you eat fast food doesn't mean that you have heart disease. Some people are impenetrable and live forever. Look at freaking Lance Armstrong. I think the guy's had testicular cancer. He's had all sorts of cancer. The guy can't just stay healthy, and he is an amazing athlete. But then you see the guy that smokes three packs a day, has two big backs, and eats fat back deep fried, and this guy lives to 103. I can't explain it. But Jackson credited the former president's health to his incredibly good genes, and it's just the way God made him. Biden, now 78, is the nation's oldest president. Since his inauguration, he has uh, maintained a rigorous schedule so far. Biden has just now returned from his summit meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin in Geneva, which lasted three hours. Last month, White House officials said Biden would take an annual physical exam later this year and publicly release the results. But White House officials declined to comment further. Though Democrats have star stated Trump was mentally unfit to be president last summer, Trump said he took a cognitive test at Walter Reed Army Medical Center and said he aced it. Beautifully. It's a beautiful test. Beautiful. The greatest test ever. So my point is, quote, is that President Trump had to submit to that even when I was his physician. I mean, the precedence already been set, Jackson said. We did it, and President Trump did it. And Biden, in his position, and his medical team need to follow the lead now. Well, I think that's fair. The man is the oldest president. Regular checkups. This used to be a daily thing, is that you would see him in Walter Reed. They would come out in the blue bathrobe and their slippers, and they would come out on the balcony, and they would shake their hand over to the press. They would take some pictures and say, how are you feeling, Mr. President? And it's same thing. Good. Doing well. God bless America. And then he'd get his ass back in there and probably continue working. We don't see that much anymore. And the president's health has become almost secretive and hidden, and it shouldn't be. But let's talk about the 25th Amendment. What does it mean? Well, the 25th Amendment is in the in case of the removal of the president from office or of his death or resignation, the vice president shall become president. Whenever there is a vacancy in the office of the VP, the president shall nominate a vice president who shall take office upon confirmation by majority vote of both House and Congress. Whenever the president transmits to the president pro temper of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives has written declaration that he is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, and until he transmits to them a written declaration to the contrary, such powers and duties shall be discharged by the vice president as acting president. Whenever the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments or of such other body as Congress may by law provide transmit to the president pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives, their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. The vice president shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office as acting president. And this is forced removal from office, which is what they wanted to do with the Capitol riot and also the insurrection. But people are also talking about the faculties, and they did this with Ronald Reagan. A transfer of power went from John F. Kennedy to LBJ. Transfer of power from Ronald Reagan to George Bush when he was incapacitated during the shooting. This has happened before in history. Thereafter, when the president transmits to the president pro tempore 
of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives his written declaration that no inability exists, he shall resume the powers and duties of his office unless the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive department or of such other body as Congress may by law provide transmit within four days to the president pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives, their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. Thereupon, Congress shall decide the issue, assembling within 48 hours for that purpose, if not in session. If the Congress within 21 days after the receipt of the letter, written declaration, or if Congress is not in session within 21 days after Congress is required to assemble, determines by two-thirds vote of both houses that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. The vice president shall continue to discharge the same as acting president. Otherwise, the president shall resume the powers and duties of his office. Holy crap. What the hell does all of that mean? Well, I'm going to explain it to you. The 25th Amendment is an effort to resolve some of the continuing issues revolving about the office of the president. That is, what happens upon the death, removal, or resignation of the president? And what is the course to follow if for some reason the president becomes disabled to such a degree that he cannot fulfill his responsibilities? The practice had been well established that the vice president became president upon the death of the president. As this has happened eight times in our history, Presumably, the vice president would become president upon the removal of the president from office. Whether the VP would become acting president when the president became unable to carry on, and whether the president could resume his office upon his recovering his ability, were two questions that had divided scholars and experts. Also, seven vice presidents had died in office, and one had resigned, so that for some 20% of the United States history, there had been no vice president to step up. But the seemingly most insoluble problem was that of presidential inability. Garfield's lying in a coma for 80 days before succumbing to the effects of an assassin's bullet. Wilson, an invalid for the last 18 months of his term, the result of a stroke. With its unanswered questions, who was to determine the existence of an inability? How was the matter to be handled if the president sought to continue? In what manner should the vice president act? Would he be acting president or president? What was to happen if the president recovered? Congress finally proposed this amendment to the states in the aftermath of President Kennedy's assassination with the vice presidency vacancy and a president who had previously had a heart attack. The whole point of this is that there are certain powers given to our government to go ahead and sustain our government. It's interesting. But now we're talking about almost usurping power from the presidency. And we've heard this was President Trump, and it got very, very close to doing this, and they backpedaled at the last moment. But now we're hearing that this cognitive test is just going to lead to more questions. Obviously, Joe Biden has had a decline in his mental faculties. Everyone can see that. We saw it with Ronald Reagan. And these tests may show inconclusive, or they may show that he has. And what do we do at that point? Does anyone want Kamala Harris as president? I think it was just as distasteful as having Mike Pence for president. It's something we should know. It's something we should understand because overturning a vote is exactly what that is, whether it's for the good of the country or not. And any power that vast should be in check and we should know what the rules are just to make sure it's being done for the right reasons. Right of nowhere and left of reality. There are crazy positions on the far left and crazy positions on the far right. On the left, there are people who believe a man can get pregnant, that the world is going to end in a decade if we don't cap carbon emissions, and that the real purpose of the American Revolution was to preserve slavery. 
On the right, there are people who deny the Holocaust happened, who believe that whites are inherently superior to other races and that no one should pay taxes. This is most assuredly the far right and far left. As a right conservative with liberal social policies and can be somewhat moderate, I disagree with all of these things. But there's an important difference between these two extremes. The crazies on the right have no voice. They are shunned. They live mostly on the far fringes of the internet. The crazies on the left have a loud voice. They are celebrated. They live in the halls of Congress and state legislature and in governor's mansions. And I'm not saying that there are not some far right people in politics, but there are far fewer on the right side than the left. In light of this distinction, it might be interesting to ask ourselves this question, which group the left or the right is more radical. We can arrive at a common sense answer by posing this thought experiment. What would America look like if the left got everything it wanted? And what would America look like if the right got everything it wanted? Well, let's start with the left. Taxes would go up on individuals and corporations to pay more for social programs, everything from universal health care to free college tuition. Many of the left call for income taxes as high as 70%, and this is the far, far left. Private health insurance would be abolished. The government would provide all health care services. Everyone in the medical field, doctors, nurses, and administrators would be government employees. Americans would pay for this government health care through much higher taxes. Illegal immigration would be decriminalized. It would still be illegal to enter the country without proper document documentation, but no one who made it onto the U.S. soil would be prosecuted for doing so. Illegal immigrants would also receive free health care, free education, and free housing, and the right to vote with a simple address and name written on the dotted line, because that's what H.R. 1 is, no matter what you want to say. The Green New Deal would be adopted. Hundreds of billions of dollars subsidies for wind and solar power would be added to the federal budget. Drilling for fossil fuels, the current source of 80% of our energy, would be sharply curtailed or eliminated altogether. And so would nuclear power. As a result, consumers' electric bills would be much higher. We're seeing this with the price of gasoline, with the regulation and the shutting downs of pipelines. Reparations would be paid for past injustice of slavery. How it would be paid and exactly to whom is not clear. Legally acquiring a gun would become much more difficult, college debt would be canceled, and those who had already paid for college would get nothing. Transgender women, biological men who identify as women, would be allowed to compete against women in sports. America's military budget would be slashed by 25 to 50 percent. Speech codes would be enforced throughout the American life. And that's just a partial list. Now let's ask what would happen if the right got what it wanted. Income taxes would be cut. Capital gains taxes would be cut, corporate taxes would be cut, and those cuts would be made permanent. All regulations that make doing business unnecessarily difficult and don't protect public health would be repealed. The issue of abortion would be sent back to the states for each state to decide its own abortion rules for itself. Many more charter schools would be opened and it would make and become much easier to fire bad teachers. In order to vote, citizens would need to present a valid ID. The border with Mexico would be secured. And the only way to enter the United States would be through designated border crossings. In order to qualify for welfare assistance, you would have to prove you could not work. The healthcare system would be opened for free market reforms. For example, insurance companies could sell policies across state lines. Students in elementary school would recite the Pledge of Allegiance at the start of each school day. Oh, the horror. 
So what can we conclude from our experiment? It's not hard to figure out. If the right got everything it wanted, the government would be much smaller. The citizen would have more freedom. If the left got everything it wanted, the government would get much bigger. The citizen would have less freedom. You're not radical if you want America to be what it's always been, committed to individual liberty. You're only radical if you want to fundamentally transform America into something it's never been. Which country do you want to live in? And I want to be clear. The fringe elements of the right are not in policy right now. There is no racist element in our government. There are no rules in the Constitution. There are no laws that are actually racist. You can make the argument that stop and frisk might be. But what you have to understand is that is reserved for the states. It's not federally mandated. The right ultimately wants less government. They have their own problems. There's no doubt at all. But the left's policies want to undo currently what America is, and that there lies the problem. Why left politics are popular is because the youth believe that these things are inherently good for them. But on the long term, they're not. Raising taxes isn't a solution. You cannot tax a nation into prosperity. It's never worked. And for all the people who hate capitalism, you are saying that on an iPhone, on an iMac, in a video camera, and typing away at the same time while watching your TV with your Apple TV or your Fire Stick, getting instantaneous news picture in picture, watching the football game and baseball game at the same time, and eating a beautiful Danish that was imported from somewhere where you don't know, and drinking a cup of coffee from coffee beans from somewhere you also don't know. Capitalism is a good thing. And prices of bread shouldn't be seven seventy five a loaf. Ask South America how that feels, or you can stick around in the United States and see what that's going to feel like shortly because prices are skyrocketing faster than a rocket to space. The right to carry a big effing gun. I'm excited to do this one. Thinking more and more about buying a gun for home defense. You need a starting point to look for the right gun for your situation. Then this segment is for you. This is not an all-inclusive list. Rather, this will cover some of the more popular options for new gun buyers. Most first-time buyers are shopping guns for home defense. If you are new to firearms, don't buy these online. Come into the store and try them out. You should be comfortable with your first purchase. In short, my suggestion for home defense are, if you want a shotgun, a Mossberg 500 or a Remington 870, AR-15 for some people, and I will explain that, why that is good and bad. The Glock 19 and a Smith & Wesson 357 Magnum. Or another option. And why do I say another option? Because here's why. Because you should take a firearms class, and you should shoot all of these weapons and find out what's most comfortable to you. Start with a 22 and move your way up to a 9mm and so on and so on. Some people have an easier time shooting a 45 than a 9mm. Don't tell me why. It just is the way it is. My wife actually prefers a 45 over a 9. doesn't make much sense to me. But what is most important is that safety is the first most paramount thing. I don't keep any of my guns locked up. They're open underneath tables and hidden from public's eye, but not from my family. My kids have been raised with guns. They know not to touch, and I trust them not to. We also watch very closely any kids that come to the house, and we try to remove them from rooms that they're going to be in. This is a Second Amendment house, but there is training involved, training of our children. We do have lockboxes to put them in, and we will upon occasion, especially if we're leaving for a few days on vacation, if we don't take some with us. The next thing is muscle memory is the most important thing. It doesn't matter necessarily what gun, as long as you have something and you know how to use it. Whatever is most comfortable for you, 
whatever you can be the most accurate with in any situation is going to be the best. And the third thing is you want to practice. You want to practice getting up from a dead sleep and setting an alarm and knowing what your wife would do, what your husband would do, or vice versa in this situation. Who grabs the flashlight? Do you both? Who are armed? Who's not? What do the kids do if the alarm goes off? What does it feel like going down the stairs in pitch black, maybe with a flashing strobe light? What does it feel like going around a corner? What if you have to do it naked? What if you sleep in the buff? Do you have time to put on your underwear? What if they broke in the floor that you're actually on? There are so many things you need to put yourself through, and you can't train for all of this. But self-defense courses and courses on firearm exercises will teach you. CQB exercises are fantastic. There are plenty of gun ranges that will teach home defense, how to take a corner, how to go ahead and make sure you don't point where your flashlight and gun are at the same place, keeping your finger off the trigger, trigger awareness, accidental discharge or misfire. These type of things you will need to learn to be successful. Let's talk about shotguns. Uh, one of the best guns for home defense, and you always see recommendations, is a shotgun. Everyone says the adage of racking back around is the scariest sound to any intruder. No, the scariest sound of, to any intruder is the last sound they hear when a bullet enters their brain. The reason is, is that you don't have to be as accurate when shooting. You still have to point at the intruder, but you don't have to necessarily have to be accurate as with other guns. Shotguns are also relatively affordable, and there are many makes and models that are reliable. When choosing a shotgun, you also need to consider ammo. There are three types of ammo, birdshot, buckshot, and slugs. The old adage is, my dad said, put a few rounds of uh, birdshot, a couple rounds of buckshot, and if the son of a bitch is still coming at you, make sure you back it up with a slug, and trust me, slugs kick like a mule. They also go through just about everything, so you want to be careful with your ammunition. Penetrating power is important on self-defense. The names explain themselves, but birdshot contains small metal balls inside the shell. They're not going to stop much. That's why it's birdshot. Birdshot is mainly used for bird hunting and small critters. While it would seriously hurt any criminal and evenly fatally wound them, just not Dick Cheney, it doesn't have the same stopping power as buckshot. Buckshot also contains small balls, but they are bigger and used for bigger game. With the right type of buckshot, you can blow limbs off. Buck is usually the go-to ammo for home defense because most of the buckshot will be stopped by a wall, meaning that if you shoot, you won't accidentally hit someone in the next room. However, as is the case with guns in general, there is still always the possibility of shooting through a wall. Keep that in mind. Make sure you understand muzzle awareness. And don't aim at something you're not willing to kill. Slugs are solid pieces of metals that are shot out of a shell. They pack a disastrous punch but don't have the same spread as bird or buckshot. Slugs can also go through walls. Common home defense shotguns are the Mossberg 500. It's used by military and the police the world over. The Mossberg 500 is a reliable pump action shotgun. Relatively affordable. This gun packs a punch and is the only gun for home defense you'll need if you plan on buying only one gun. The Remington 870, around for more than a half century, the shotgun has sold over 11 million units, according to Remington, and it's one of the most popular shotguns for home defense. As with Mossberg, this gun can be outfitted with the latest and greatest add-ons or stay true to its basic concepts. This gun is also pump action and can be used for just about any situation. However, if you're new to firearms, make sure to read a guide on being a new gun owner. Check out information on tactical shotguns as well as how to use them. Understand this, a shotgun can be very cumbersome for a small-statured woman. Going around corners, navigating, also racking the shotgun back, all of these things take seconds, and without practice, it can be detrimental. Coming around a corner, there's a certain way to use a shotgun versus using a pistol, and you must learn these type of things. You don't want to lead with the gun, so to speak, but you also don't want to keep it up like this. 
You want to learn. You want to understand how to do it. And there are plenty of places where you buy your gun, which will show you how. How about rifles? Rifles come in all shapes and sizes. However, um, I'm just going to focus on one for home defense. You'll find this gun on just about every best list of home. It's the most popular rifle in the world. And that gun is the AR-15. The AR-15 may seem scary, but there's a lot to like about this gun for home defense rifle. For starters, the AR-15 gets a lot right. Starting magazines are usually around 20 to 30 rounds, unless you're in California. Extended magazines for extra capacity, lightweight, low recoil, wide range of aftermarket parts to fully customize your gun. The AR-15 is also moderately priced for a rifle and can be a great tool for hunting and target shooting. Ammo does vary, however, and the rifle's 30-round magazine capacity is crazy. But you know what's more crazy? The AR's most popular cartridge, the uh, the .223 and the 5.56 NATO, penetrates less than a pistol bullet and shotgun shells. How do I know this? The FBI put the claim to the test. They fired various .223 rounds and compared them to 9mm, 10mm, and 40 SW caliber pistol ammo. The results, the 223 penetrated the least. The takeaway, if you're going to choose a cartridge for your AR-15, go with something like the Hornandes 55 or the Hornady's 55 grain load. It's specifically designed for in-house, which will minimize bullet penetration. Not only do you get a gun that's reliable and has stopping power, it also won't tear apart your home completely if you decide to fire multiple shots. As with all guns, training is key to using the weapon properly. If you decide to buy an AR-15 for self-defense, put it in the work to be successful with it. There's a few drawbacks. One is that it's extremely fucking loud. An AR-15 in a small confined space is deafening loud. Also, the muzzle flash is extremely bright in a dark space. That's not a good thing. It's also extremely hard to navigate. If you make it in pistol form, it's a little bit easier. Also, racking around, although easy for people who are good at it, a non-practice individual will find themselves stumbling with a fire selector switch and racking around. It's not the easiest weapon to use. My personal preference is pistols and revolvers. But I will tell you this, it takes a lot of practice to get good with those. The most common caliber for a home defense handgun, and by the way, the reason I mentioned muzzle flash and I also mention the, the, the overall decibel level of an AR is you're not going to be putting in goggles and you're not going to be putting in protection hearing in a home defense situation. If you know how to use an AR, it is a deadly instrument at best. If you don't, there are other options that are a hell of a lot more uh, effective, in my opinion reason to go firing crazy those those rounds move at a super fast rate i mean 2200 miles an hour 2500 miles if it hits somebody it's going to do some serious damage but a handgun and a shotgun can do devastating damage as well in the right hands the most common caliber for a home defense handgun is nine millimeter this does mean that your gun will penetrate through walls and can possibly harm your loved ones during a home invasion if you're using full metal jacket rounds. If you use home defense rounds or the mushroom tip bullets, those are actually self-defense rounds, and those will break apart into drywall and wood and are a hell of a lot less dangerous. You still want to be cognizant of where you're aiming your weapon. Also, many experts recommend hollow point ammo because of the power, and they are a bit safer to shoot in a home defense scenario. In general, pistols hold more capacity and have more moving parts. However, with revolvers, all you need to do is keep pulling the trigger. If there is a malfunction. Let's focus on one pistol and one revolver. The Glock 19. The Glock 19 is sturdy, having a 15 carrying capacity and a standard magazine and shoots 9mm. Your Glock 19 can also be used for concealed carry if you have the right holster. It is easy to disassemble. I think I have my holster right here. I have a leather bound holster that fits on the inside of my waistband. I carry a Glock 19 
I also have a 40 caliber, a 45, and several other handguns. I prefer the Glock 19. It's what I use. It's really, but in home defense, I actually, when I take it out for concealed carry, I carry my 40 cal. I want a little more stopping power. It is easy to disassemble when you put together, and thousands of tutorials located on YouTube, the Glocks are literally a two-step process to disassemble and a four-step process to put them back together. They are simply the easiest gun to take apart and clean. There is nothing simpler. Glocks also can be fun to train with, and many people report the gun having a firm grip to work with, which make them perfect for home defense. The Smith & Wesson 357 Magnum. This gun is without a doubt one of the best revolvers you can pick up in terms of stopping power. The 357 can shoot both 357 and 32 caliber round and it has enough power to go through multiple walls. If all you want is a powerful gun that is almost dummy proof in the heat of the moment, this may be the revolver for you. Whatever you point at will most assuredly go down. However, please understand that a 357 is extremely powerful. Some people say it can stop a bear. Now, I haven't seen many people carry maybe 500 Win Mag or something a little stronger. Some people tell you 357 can kill a bear dead flat. I don't know about that. I've never shot a bear. Possibly the only topic to generate more arguments than politics is the never-ending discussion of what qualifies as the best home defense gun. I promise you people will post down there what they think and say, Matt, you're full of shit. It really doesn't matter. The truth of it is no single shooting solution meets the needs of every individual or household. There may be multiple assailants. Well, then you probably want an AR. Oh, well, there might be a big burly person. Well, then you might want a slug to drop them fast. Maybe it's someone you don't want to kill. Shotgun's good for that. Or you need to put multiple rounds down range and be sequential and be accurate. A handgun is very, very good for that. Every firearm is an exercise in compromise. Each platform has limitations to be considered carefully when making a choice. Many firearms can be useful for a variety of applications, such as target shooting, hunting, and concealed carry, as well as protecting your family. However, the following discussion focuses on firearms in the primary role of home defense. The general advantages and disadvantages of each gun type should be considered in light of the fact that most houses and living areas limit the defender's mobility. Remember, practical defensive shots will be fired at very close range, i.e. contact distance, to cross the room ranges of 5 to 10 yards. That far. A person with a knife can close that distance if you're not ready on target. Gun buyers should be looking for a firearm and ammunition combination, combination offering an optimum level of stopping power. Overpowered guns produce excessive amounts of recoil, noise, and muzzle flash that can leave the home defender blind and deaf and pointed in the wrong direction. More importantly, hot rounds are more likely to pass through the intended target, travel through thin wall or window materials, and keep on going to cause unintended damage to others. At the other end of the spectrum, underpowered guns will not stop the threat effectively. Dealing with the concerns of overpenetration or underpowered defense options is one of the reasons civilians are often encouraged to examine law enforcement agency practices. A police officer and a home defender have the same goals in mind, namely to stop a threat, quickly without causing unintended collateral damage. So don't be too surprised when some of the gun choices listed here look like they came out of a precinct inventory for the police. After all, I did help police shoot and learn how to shoot at the academy in Wyoming. Plenty of affordable rifles and handguns are available, chambered in 22 long rifle. However, they should be avoided for home defense. The 22 round produces low levels of stopping power and sprawls inside the body. It certainly can do a ton of damage, but stopping power isn't one of them. This allows an assailant to continue doing harm long after he or she has been struck by the bullet. Rimfire guns like the 22 are more likely to jam or fail to fire due to faulty primers than centerfire shotgun, rifle, handgun, or handgun cartridges. 
The 22s are terrific for plinking, small game hunting, and practice, but they have no place in a home defense lineup. And there will be people who will argue and say, I can hit a flea at 50 yards with my 22. Good. You're the only one. Shotguns. The primary difference between shotguns intended for outdoor sports and those for self-defense is the barrel length. Combat shotguns are typically fitted with short barrels between 18 and a half and 20 in length. Some combat models offer an extended magazine capacity or a specialized sighting system, but they are usually the same as sporting shotguns in other respects. Common types of combat shotgun include pump actions, semi-automatics, and occasionally brake actions. The pump action or slide action requires a shooter to pull the forearm back toward the receiver and then push it forward again to chamber a fresh round from the magazine. Pumps are plentiful, relatively inexpensive, and mechanically reliable. Semi-automatics chamber a fresh round with each pull of the magazine trigger until the magazine is empty. Semi-autos can fire shots more quickly and accurately, but they are more expensive to buy and are more finicky with certain kinds of 12-gauge ammo. Brake actions are hinged to allow the base of the gun's single or double barrel to swing away from the receiver. You may have seen these when you're quail hunting or skeet shooting. And this is allowed to remove the spent shells and load fresh ones manually. Brake actions are reliable and simple to operate, but they only offer one or two shot capacity, so you better hit your fucking target. The 12-gauge combat shotgun has been called the most effective anti-personnel firearm invented. The saturation effect of buckshot is simply devastating the soft tissue. The result is a high degree of stopping power. However, the felt recoil produced by the 12-gauge is intense, often too intense for small-framed shooters, otherwise women. And I'm not saying all women. There are plenty of women out there that rock the 12-gauge. You don't need to post your videos and your documentaries. I get it. We're talking about the common person. The shoulder bruising effects of the shotgun can be reduced by switching to low-recoil ammo or by using a 20-gauge instead. Shotguns have a low ammunition capacity, usually 4 plus 1 in the chamber, compared to most semi-tactical rifles and semi-automatic handguns, and it's illegal to de-plug a gun in a lot of different states. You want to make sure that your gun is legal when you use it, because trust me, it's going to be collected and investigated upon. They are relatively slow to reload, requiring rounds to be fed into a chamber or a magazine one at a time. Also, their length and weight can make them difficult to maneuver in tight spaces, just like the AR. It's important to take a moment here to dispel some of the Hollywood mythology and bullshit that surrounds these potent firearms. A strike from a shotgun shell will not send an assailant flying across the room or cut them in half. Shotguns are not magic wands that launch beach-sized ball orbs of destruction. Holding a shotgun at hip level and spraying lead in the general direction of a threat is a bad idea for two important reasons. First, shot patterns remain small at home defense distances. This means unaimed shots are just likely to miss the threat as those fired by any other defensive firearm. Secondly, although a cluster of shot pellets is unlikely to overpenetrate the human body, the said cluster can pass through walls with plenty of energy left to do harm beyond the intended target. Movies and television shows have glamorized pistol grip only shotguns. None of the professional instructors I've worked with ever would recommend this configuration for home protection. Removing the shoulder stock makes a shotgun shorter and easier to move with, but they are not practical defense tools since they're nearly impossible to aim properly. Leave the pistol grip only shotguns to the SWAT teams for breaching doorways, and unless you're going to be shooting doorways, you're not going to need it. And just install a traditional or six position stock on yours. You will thank me later, unless you're going to attack a door robber. 
Rifles, although bolt-action hunting rifles may be ideal for taking large game, they make a poor choice for home defense. These rifles are slow to load, slow to fire, and the high-powered cartridges they shoot produce excessive muzzle flash noise and recoil, recoil and are very likely to overpenetrate and kill the target, your wall, and Bambi outside. If you want a rifle for home defense, then consider a tactical semi-auto or pistol-caliber carbine. I also use an M1 carbine for home defense, 30 caliber. That thing's fantastic. Gives you the stopping power of a rifle and the muzzle velocity of that, but it's also in small and compact, and I can keep it close to my body, and nobody's going to grab it from me. It shoots like a pistol. It's fantastic. But, once again, penetration is pretty good for a 30 caliber. It will go through walls. In the last few years, the popularity of tactical rifles have skyrocketed. The most popular seem to be the AR-15, as I discussed earlier. Other examples of this breed... The AK-47, the M1 carbine, which I just mentioned, a Ruger Mini-14. These rifles are light, easy to shoot, produce low levels of recoil, and provide plenty of ammunition. Rifles are powerful defense firearms, with some models offering stopping power similar to a shotgun, but without as much recoil. For home defenders who live in rural areas, rifles can provide the added range and accuracy needed to deal with pests of the four-legged variety. Like the shotgun, a rifle's length may take it, make it difficult to maneuver in tight spaces. That's why I prefer the M1. The other drawback to tactical rifles is the high price tag. In some cases, you can buy two or three defensive shotguns for the price of one tactical rifle. Another good choice for home defense is a pistol caliber carbine. Compact lever action rifles chambered for a revolver cartridge like a 357 or 45 Colt have been protecting people's interests for quite some time. Lever guns usually hold several rounds in their magazines, but fresh cartridges have to be loaded one at a time, much like a shotgun. Some manufacturers offer semi-auto carbines that accept handgun magazines in popular defensive pistol calibers. These rifles can offer ammunition and magazine compatibility with a handgun you already own. And on the longer barrels, it increases the velocity of the load. Now let's get to the 800-pound gorilla, the handguns. Handguns continue to be among the most regularly purchased home defense firearms for several reasons. They're easy to maneuver in confined spaces. They can be held and fired with one hand leaving the other hand free to operate a flashlight. Never put your flashlight on your gun, especially if you have small kids or pets. Please understand that wherever you point, you are going to be jittery. You are going to be in dead sleep. And without muscle memory, you are going to point where you want to see light. Now, some people say that's crucial. For me, I like to have my gun over my flashlight hand so I can lower my flashlight and keep my gun raised at the same time wherever I want to or lower it and point the flashlight. It's just personal preference. You'll figure out what's good for you. Some people like a two-hand grip. Some people also like to move their body to the side when they're moving through a room. Everyone has differences. What works for you is what is best. But leaving that hand open for doors and so on is a big advantage, I will admit it. They can be held close to the body to help prevent them from being grabbed or knocked away by an intruder, and a handgun's compact size allows it to be stored in a small space like a strong box or in a dresser drawer. I also like that I have a tactical flashlight, which has ribs on it, so I can actually use that as a weapon and fend somebody off while I'm pulling my handgun if necessary. It should be up in the ready position anyway. The market is currently replete with excellent defensive handgun options. However, ammo crisis is huge, and it's important to buy ammo. It should be like getting new air filters. Every month, you should go to the gun store and buy a box and save because ammo shortages are a real thing. 
The two most common types of defensive handguns, we talked about the Glock 19, are the double-action revolvers and semi-automatic pistols. Double-action revolvers have a cylinder that swings out to one side for loading and unloading and usually have five to six rounds capacity. Revolvers are easy to learn and operate, and they are reliable. They do not have buttons, levers, or switches, really. Just pull the trigger and the gun fires. Defensive revolvers are most often found chambered in a 38 Special and 357 Mag. Loading a revolver with a 38 Special plus P ammunition can increase the revolver's stopping power without the flash and recoil associated with the 357. That's just a tighter packed load, moves faster. However, you want to make sure that you're using plus P, plus P rounds sparingly. It can damage the barrel over long periods of time. A 3 to 4 inch barrel is usually recommended for use in the home for a wheel gun. Semi-automatic pistols use a box magazine to load the ammunition. These pistols can be more complicated to operate, but they have a light trigger pull, hold more ammunition, and can be reloaded more quickly than a revolver. Some of the most commonly available semi-automatic pistol cartridges for defense include the 9mm Luger, 45 ACP, and 40 SW, which I mentioned earlier. Full-size, also known as duty-size, pistols offer larger magazine capacities and longer grips, for more comfortable practice than the compact and subcompact p- pistols favored for legal concealed carry. As you can see, my magazine has an extended part on the pistol grip. So when I go ahead and wrap my pinky around here, it is easier for me to grip the pistol, as you can see. So, uh, and they are also favored for concealed carry. They're lightweight, they're small, and they can also put a lot downrange. And sub-sub-compact semi-automatic pistols honestly have lower yield results when it comes to the amount of bullets it can carry. Some are six, some are ten. You want as many as you can have. That's the open argument. My buddy Wayne, who I have met through Facebook, will tell you as many rounds as possible, please, sir. Although handguns are useful for home defense, they are, on the whole, weak stoppers when compared to rifles and shotguns. The rule of thumb when selecting a defensive handgun is to choose the most powerful cartridge you can comfortably handle. The exception to this rule is the high-powered hunting handguns like the 44 Mag or the 454 Casol or the 500 Win Mag SW, which should be avoided. Just like a hunting rifle, the flash and report of these cartridges will leave home defenders deaf and blind when they need their senses the most, and the bullet is very likely to overpenetrate the target. In the end, just choose carefully. Selecting a firearm for home defense is a process that should include careful research and forethought. Do your homework. Go to the range and test fire the guns you're interested in before you buy. Trust your instincts. When you identify the firearm that's the best fit your needs, even if the gun geek behind the counter doesn't agree, who gives a shit? It's kind of like Harry Potter when he finds his wand. The wand selects you. So does the gun. You will know what's best for you. In the turnkey solution society, we sometimes look at our equipment to solve our problems and do the hard work for us. No amount of money invested in a flashy gun and high-grade ammunition will ever compensate for a failure to invest in your understanding of defensive shooting. The budget for a home protection firearm should include funds for practice at the range, educational books, videos, YouTube, and live training with professional instructors. The self-defense tools you have between your ears will always be more important than the gun you have in your hands. It's only a tool after all. I would recommend this. Before you buy a weapon in any way, shape, or form, go shoot the weapons that I talked about. Any major gun store will have a range inside, and they will allow you to shoot certain weapons. Give it a try. Find out what you're comfortable with. Until you put 30 or 40 rounds down range, you're not going to know. Most people, to be really accurate with their weapon, have to do thousands of rounds a year 
to truly understand what it takes and what their weapon can do and become an extension of them. Don't be caught unaware. Don't get something too big and flashy. Use what works. Folks, that's it for my show tonight. Thank you for watching. I appreciate you so much. And this is Don't Unfriend Me. I will be back Monday for 172. I'm going to take the weekend off and enjoy, and I will go out like I always do with the Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Press 1. 22 veterans a day commit suicide. It is all too real. It is all too serious. TBI, PTS, anxiety, depression, all of these things impact veterans who have seen things and done things. It's not a disorder. It's a sickness. And you can cure it with help. Talk to a veteran. They don't want to talk about it. They need to. It's the most important thing. If you can't get them to talk, call me. I'll see what I can do and hopefully get them to make that phone call. And if not, just leave them with my URL at any time. Don'tunfriendme.com. Click the VCL link. You'll be connected to a Skype operator immediately. And if you are a civilian, you will be connected too. They don't turn anyone away. You don't have to be just a veteran. They will take care of everybody. Folks, thank you so much. Please like, share, and subscribe this video. Please let me know what you think below. I have a feeling a lot of people are going to tell me how I'm wrong, and that's okay. Remember, we can agree, we can disagree. Don't unfriend me. Have a wonderful night, folks. See you on Monday.